Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for the next installment of our Monday Match Analysis preseason series where I go through players in order of the ATP year-end rankings and preview their 2020 seasons. This time, it is numbers 4 through 8. So Dominic Team, Daniil Medvedev, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev, and Matteo Berrettini. It's going to be fun. It's going to be snappier, faster paced than the uh, last three, but if you haven't checked them out, uh, the Novak Djokovic preview, a Rafael Nadal preview, and a Roger Federer preview, they are all up on this channel. Uh, so if any of that, any of those players interest you, uh, you can, you can uh, take a look at those. I think that uh, I'm going to be striking a very different tone in this video than I did in those uh, because, pretty simply, those three have already done eh, a fair bit of winning in, in the sport of tennis there aren't really key developmental holes that they need to clog up and develop in order for them to be successful. But all of the players I'm about to talk about are players who have not made the breakthrough. None of them have won a major title. So what I want to focus on is not how they can stay on top, how they can gain an edge over some of their fiercest rivals, but I want to talk about where I feel like they should be focusing on improving their games uh, in order to, to take that leap, to, to win the titles that are the most important in this sport. And uh, in this case, you know, I'd say w what I'm trying to get at is areas that I think will determine their success, areas where I feel like they lag behind. And also I'll make sure to, to kind of recap what makes these players so threatening. Why are they in the top eight? And what will, what will we be seeing out of them in 2020 uh, that will for sure give them a fair bit of success? Or if I think they're going to fall off a cliff and, you know, fall out of the top 30, I'll say that too. Um, so let's start with Dominic Team, coming off uh, his best year in, in his career so far where he won Indian Wells. Um, and he um, nearly won the Nitto ATP Finals, um, made another French Open Final. So, uh, and also, let's see, what else did he win? He won Barcelona as well. Uh, he won his home tournament in Kitzbühel, which is a, a faster hardcore. He won two tournaments. He has two 250 titles in Austria. It's Kitzbühel and Vienna, right? Yeah, Kitzbühel and Vienna. So a uh, huge year for team. Here's what I feel like were the, the major things. The, 
The number one thing, the first thing team addressed, in my opinion, was was his shot selection. And uh, it's more than my opinion. I also know this to, to be true uh, based on things that he's said. But uh, the the key was that team has all this firepower, uh, but he just needed to to limit the errors. And he's now more selective about when he goes down the line. He is going cross-court on a higher percentage of his shots. He's understanding when to play it safe and when to go big. He's been doing, I witnessed him in person doing cross-courts and lines drills where he's trading He's trading balls cross-court, defending cross-court, waiting for the short ball, and then, only then, going line with, uh, with the kind of aggression that he brings to the table. He's got one of the highest percentages of backhand down the line winner percentage on tour. At the same time, he's done a much better job about not going line when he shouldn't be. It's a riskier shot, higher part of the net, less court to work with, gotta time it right because, he, because you're changing direction, both on the forehand and the backhand, I feel like he's going line less. He's making less errors than, than he once did. He's improved his defense, he's better going high cross court under pressure when, he's just, when he just really needs to focus on, uh, on making a ball. Other than that, uh, there's, there's more to it. There's more to teams improvement. He's uh, taking the ball on the rise a lot more. His backhand slice is improved, and when he feels like he doesn't have as much time on the backhand, he can go to the slice instead of making errors whenever he's rushed on the backhand. He has improved his, his net play. He's going to the net more. Uh, he's worked on his short angle drop volleys. Uh, he There's one more thing. Oh, and, and the, the last thing is that he's beefed up his serve a little bit. Uh, his first serve is a little bit less of a kick serve like it was early in his career, and he's also mixing up his location more, uh, getting more unpredictable on the serve. So team is, is re has really developed nicely, and uh, I hope I've covered that well on this channel because it was um, over the course of 2019. Happy New Year, everyone. It's officially 2020. Um, over the course of last season, I hope I covered that well because team has made so many improvements. Now, I feel like the shot selection is one area where there's another level to it. I think he can get better. When things are going well, when things are going right, when he's timing the ball and when he's feeling good, I don't think that there's any problem with with his shot selection. But I think he has a tendency when he plays, when, when he's being challenged, when he's losing, when he is struggling, he can overhit. And I think he needs to get more dynamic in understanding when, when are you feeling it, right? When do you have the hot hand? When can you go for a lot? And when you need to tone it back, play safe and trust your consistency, your fitness, your shot tolerance. And I don't see that out of team yet. When team is missing the mark, when he doesn't have a good feel for his ground strokes, I don't think he adjusts his shot selection. He still seems to be going big off the ground with, uh, with a fair amount of consistency. And for some players, I'd say that's necessary. We're, we're going to talk about Matteo Berrettini later in this video. He'll be the final player I talk about. 
if you have the kind of movement that Matteo Berrettini has, well, you have no choice. You have to go big. It's not optional. It doesn't matter if you're making it. It doesn't matter if you're missing it. You better hit big. But I don't think team is in that same position. And I feel like sometimes when when team starts to struggle and make a lot of errors, he just doesn't tone it back. He needs to get more dynamic with his aggression. When he's feeling it, maybe up the aggression, he tends to do that. Uh, when you're not feeling it, tone it down, play safe. I think um, Madrid, Djokovic, that's a good example. Nadal, every time they play at the French Open, I feel like team is overhitting, going for too much, making errors. And uh, not really always forcing Nadal to to play his best tennis throughout the entire match. For example, I think the the fourth set of the French Open final to me was a it was a disappointing set by team. Just just for an example, uh, and Nadal won six one. So um, when he's tired is also uh, another example where I think he overhits. So I think overhitting is his worst habit. The habit that makes him lose matches with the most frequency. Uh, second thing, continue to work on the backhand return. I think he's working on that, but but that's always something that's going to uh, be a make-or-break factor for team on faster courts. I have one more bullet point here, and it's get sick less. The, uh, he seems to have an illness problem, and, uh, you know, it's kind of... Uh, it's interesting because I, I know it's hard to tell someone to not get sick, but in this case... Uh, I bet his team is looking into that because he was sick a lot in 2019 and these are professional athletes. This is their livelihood. This is how they make a living and uh, this is the kind of thing where if you're an accountant and you get sick too much, you go on with life. But if you're a professional tennis player and you get sick too much, you might want to look into actually finding a solution there uh, because uh, it really did derail his year at, at certain points. I, I think... I think he got sick twice. I think he was sick at Wimbledon. Then I think he got sick again for the U.S. Open. I mean, that's two majors, and uh, hopefully he can figure out how to uh, get around that. My prediction for team here is actually that he wins a major. I think that he's getting too good and uh, developing too quickly for him to not win a major in 2020. So I I see him. Uh, my my hunch is that it's probably the U.S. Open. I still think that if, if anything happens to Nadal, an injury, an upset, I mean, 11 out of the last 13 years, Nadal has been 100% at the French Open, and he's won all 11 as far as I'm concerned. But there were still two years there mixed in, and as Nadal gets older, perhaps the likelihood increases that, that something happens to Nadal. But, you know, so uh, he's something happening to Nadal away from being the French Open favorite. U.S. Open, I think uh, Indian Wells this year was a, a good preview of how team, how dangerous team can be on a slower hard court. And I, I really think the team has a great chance at the U.S. Open when you look at the field. And um, also that it's later, late in the year probably helps him because this is a, a player who's still getting, getting better and better. Let, let us move on to Daniil Medvedev. Um, a player who caught absolute fire towards the end of 2019, had a run from, what was it? It started, did he play in, was it the City City Open or was it after that? 
um, regardless, I think it was the, did start at the City Open and he played Kyrgios and he lost. Uh, he made six straight finals. It ended in Paris, but it was Shanghai from DC to Shanghai. Every tournament Medvedev played, he made a final. Um, continued to show us cr crazy things, whether it be hitting two first serves, whether it be uh, going to the net when you, you, you would think he wouldn't be a good volleyer, whether it be coming up with clutch passing shots. Uh, but at the end of the day, here's what Medvedev is. He's unlike anything that we that I have ever seen in this sport because he is a massive... He's six foot six, which nowadays is becoming more common, but traditionally that's massive. Yet he is a grinder. He is not aggressive from the baseline. He moves well from the baseline. He never misses a backhand like he's some kind of ball machine. His forehand is... You also don't get a lot of errors off of that wing. Um, a, a few more. Uh, so he's this this model of consistency, this, you know, a good mover, a grinder from the baseline, yet he can bring the heat on the serve, which is a, an offensive weapon in itself. So really he's, he's predicated off uh, fitness and consistency and, and shot tolerance, but at the same time, he, he has that weapon in his serve, and, and he also has a, a, a really good penetrating backhand. And it's a, a very awkward shot to deal with, the Medvedev backhand. Also, the ball stays very low. It makes him... Uh, he, it, it, he's very good at remaining unattackable from keeping the ball low and also keeping the ball deep in the court. And that's typical of a flat hitter, which is what Medvedev is. Flat hitters are generally better at keeping the ball deep in the court, and they're generally better at uh, keeping the ball low, more or less. It's actually rare. It's a rare skill to keep the ball low because most players either have good kick, kick up high on the ball, or it's it's normal and we don't talk about the height of their shots. But Medvedev is is really is is really crafty as well, and and he he has good hands. To go along with it, he has pretty good hands, but but he's kind of an awkward player, so it's it's strange. He's got a strange game. I'm actually a little bit, a, I have some skepticism and some doubts about Medvedev's ability to keep up what we saw last summer. Actually, uh, major doubts, and. It really comes back to a couple things, but the biggest thing is how physically taxing, uh, first of all, how physically taxing his style is. And I'm wondering if he's going deep in tournaments all the time, just how much of a toll the kind of tennis that he likes to play is going to take on his body early on. Now that's easily overcomable and people said the same thing about a young Nadal people probably say the same thing about you know David Ferrer and Ferrer was good into his 30s so I'm not saying that, that that's a major red flag or a major problem it's really not however none of those players were 6'6 and at the end of the day, my bigger issue is not about his uh, 
the possibility that he breaks down, not only within an individual match, not only within an individual tournament, but also over the course of the year. I'm concerned, really, about all three of the pillars of cardio and endurance for Medvedev, because I think it got to him by the end of the year uh, after playing that you know, that brutal run where he kept making the final, where he kept playing match after match after match. He was the walking dead at the U.S. Open and somehow made the final. So it, it's not just that I'm concerned about fitness. It's also that I'm concerned about it from a tactical perspective. And I, I do have some doubts about if his forehand is actually what what the summer would suggest that it is. And Medvedev was actually creating some nice offense off his forehand. He was also coming up with a lot of clutch serving. He was doing some things that I'm a little bit, not skeptical, but I'm not entirely certain we're going to see on a consistent basis for Medvedev. And I'm wondering if he got into a zone this summer where he played a little bit above his normal level, especially when it comes to generating offense on the forehand. But I want to show you a stat here that to me is a little bit concerning, not when it comes to Medvedev being a top 10 player, not when it comes to Medvedev being maybe even a top five player, but when it comes to Medvedev winning a slam, this concerns me. This is a tennis abstract metric called uh, rally aggression. And it basically charts how aggressive players are after the serve. Um, I'm not sure all the specifics, but to me, this seems like a pretty good, accurate metric, just given the players, just given the list. It seems like a credible list. I mean, Jill Simone, John Millman, Adrian Manorino, these are all players who, if you asked me without looking at the stat, these would be players who I would guess would be at the top of the list of the least aggressive players in tennis. And look at Medvedev right there with a minus... Uh, that says 86, I believe, minus 86 uh, rally aggression, right up there with uh, Jaume Munar and Roberto Carbeo Sabaena and John Millman and Manorino and RBA. I mean, if you're going to be a elite, 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 elite player, I feel like you need to pack a little bit more punch in a baseline rally. And unfortunately, Medvedev's... Uh, Medvedev's backhand, he doesn't bring too much MPH on it, although it is nice and penetrating and, he, and it's precise. He doesn't bring much MPH on it. And the forehand is kind of the same way. So I'm, I have doubts about Medvedev's ability to, to create offense, a, a bit of doubts um, outside of his serve. I have some doubts about his offensive arsenal. If he hits his forehand like he did over the summer, he is fine. I want to emphasize that. If that's his forehand, he is fine. Why do I have my doubts that that's not? Honestly, it's probably me being a little bit weary of how it looks technically. Now, I am not a proponent of judging technique. Who cares what technique looks like? It's all about effectiveness. If Medvedev's forehand is effective, then his technique, as far as I'm concerned, is perfect. Don't get me wrong, what I'm saying here is I have doubts about the future um, effectiveness of his forehand on a consistent basis based on his technique, just because I haven't seen enough sample size, just because we've only seen Medvedev be really, really good for a half a year, for a couple of months. 
So the number one thing I want to see from Medvedev is I want to see that he can generate offense with his forehand, create with his forehand. Second thing, mental volatility. Sometimes he seems to really go off the rails. He's yelling at his box. He's giving a thumbs up every time he loses a point just like this. He's saying, good job, coaches. Great job coaching me. I lost the point. So that he should probably try to cut out. He loses control. He gets distracted. He exerts unnecessary energy. Then also the kick serve. He's 14th in double faults per second serves on tour. He double faults in 2019 on 10.6% of his second serves. Doesn't really have a natural kick serve. It's more of a slice serve. That's okay. Andy Murray got away with that. Obviously, uh, he had a lot of success in his career. Uh, but I think that's something Medvedev can work on as well. So... Medvedev is a very special player, very special player, but I expect there to be bumps this year. I expect there to be bumps in the road, I expect there to be struggles, and I do not expect Medvedev to be on a rocket ship to the top, as some are probably expecting. So um, I don't think he's going to fall off, but I do think that he will fall short of some people's expectations. All right, Tsitsipas time. The world number six. Um, had some really good results this year. Had a lull um, in the middle of the season, but started the season off with making the Aussie Open semifinals. Ended the season by winning the ATP year-end finals. So a nice year for Tsitsipas, although he struggled for a while there. Uh, number one is uh, mental maturity is my number one uh, improvement for Tsitsipas. Oh, you know, let me, let me give him the, uh, let, let me go over some of the things that he's already done. Um, backhand is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Legs are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I think later in the year, uh, he started making very few errors, which is what anyone who wants to get to the top of the sport needs to do. He's making too many errors before. Uh, and uh, he's got a gr he's still got a great feel at a net at the net. He's got a great forehand, so precise. He moves it around the court so well. It's got uh, a lot of topspin that creates really really underrated angles. Tsitsipas can get the, the kind of angles that Nadal can get on his forehand. Uh, not quite as much topspin, but uh, probably more precise than Nadal uh, on the forehand wing. So Tsitsipas has. Um, a lot going for him. He's also got a pretty big serve. The number one thing that I think he can get better with is uh, mental maturity. I think he gets too high after wins. I think he gets too low after losses. I think he needs to just settle down and, and mature a little bit and, and become more even because the losses seem to linger. The loss to Stan Wawrinka at the French Open which was a, a heartbreaking loss. It, it seemed to just ruin the rest of his next three months because he was so devastated that he lost all the confidence in, in his game. And, and he can't let that happen. He, he just simply needs to almost put, now it's a blessing and a curse because he, he cares so much. He wants to win so bad. Uh, he reminds me of Nadal in how competitive he is. And, and believe me, it's, it's way better. This is going to be an obvious statement, but I'm just going to make it. It's better to care like Tsitsipas than to not like Nick Kyrgios. It, it's better in terms of 
winning tennis matches. He he needs to almost care less. Or he needs to he needs to actually he doesn't need to care less during the match, but he needs to turn the page on his losses better. Um, so he just needs to calm down a little bit uh, overall, and I think that'll come with age. Uh, but he he does remind me of a junior player still, you know. Um, he reminds me of a junior player with with how emotional he is, and it's good. But that's how you lose confidence. That's how you get tired when you shouldn't be getting tired. He should calm down. Uh, the backhand he continues to get stronger on that wing, but but that needs to continue. Uh, he needs to keep going up on the backhand wing. It, it's better indoors than it is outdoors. So I think the difference, I think when it's in his strike zone, he's fine. But when he goes outside and it's either a high bouncing court or uh, he or players kick it up high over his shoulders, I think he, he's still getting stronger there. Uh, but he's, he's making good improvements there. Um, he needs to develop a better block return on his backhand side because he still takes a really big swing at it. And I'll tell you what, he's very talented. Sometimes he's able to square it up and hit it well. Other times he's not. And and some, I mean, overall, he needs to put more returns in play. That's a big, big uh, area that he can improve. He did a great job uh, in London uh, during the ATP finals. He did a great job of putting returns in play. The third thing is something I wanna go to um, I want to pull up some uh, some screenshots here. I think he's got something weird going on with his service technique. I wonder if his first serve can be bigger. Right now, uh, this is the only um, footage that I could find from the back is way long ago, 2017 U.S. Open. So he's he's practically a baby here. Um, he hadn't really broken onto the scene, and he's playing Berrettini. How cool is this? Uh, but anyway. Watch his uh, left foot. Watch his hips. Um, here's contact. And I'm just feeling like Tsitsipas is kind of pulling away to his left. And instead of putting his energy out forward into the court, I feel like he's, he's just he's rotating his hips, but he's allowing himself to just get tugged off to the left. And uh, I'm wondering if there's some power that he's leaving in the uh, in the tank from this kind of weird technique hitch that he has. And by the way, I think it's become worse. Here, you know, I found it as a junior. I mean, this doesn't look that bad to me. I feel like it got worse uh, over time. But if you can kind of catch my drift, I feel like right now he's serving to the ad side, but all of his energy is going almost towards the left sideline. Serving on the ad side, he's kind of jumping off to the left sideline, so I also wonder if he can fix that. My uh, expectation for Tsitsipas here is uh, it could be a, it could be a huge year for him, um, and if if he's consistent, I think he's going to rack up a lot of rankings points. Um, I don't think anyone wants to play him in best of five. I think the the only thing that's unfortunate for Tsitsipas is his best major should probably be the Australian Open, but it's going to be a major where there's a lot of pressure on him because he's defending tons of points. It's the beginning of the year, so he doesn't have the physical advantage that he might have over some of the older players on tour, <clears throat> the big three. Uh, you know, and, and, and Djokovic and Nadal and Federer have been so strong at this tournament. So uh, I, I don't see him winning a major unless he can get comfortable moving on grass. 
If he can get comfortable moving on grass, I think he's a massive threat at Wimbledon, and I also think uh, he could go very far in Australia. So I'm expecting a really big year out of uh, Tsitsipas. We go on now to Alexander Zverev. Zverev had a had a year that it, it felt pretty bad until the end there. He, he wasn't beating anyone good. I mean, and it, it was interesting because people were kind of trashing Zverev like, oh my God, he's doing absolutely terrible. He can't win a match. And that was actually never the case this year. He's obviously got a high ranking. So he plays a lot of lower competition early in tournaments, which is what happens when you have a good ranking. It was just that it almost seemed like the entire year he never beat anyone good until after the U.S. Open. And then, and then he had some good wins in, in London. Uh, he had some good wins, of course, uh, in Shanghai. Beat Roger Federer at Shanghai. So um, eventually he figured things out. Least important time of the year. Uh, Laver Cup helped him. He admits it. Everyone, everyone saw, saw it. I mean, Roger Federer helped him uh, get more confident. So uh, th there are a lot of issues with Zverev, obviously, but um, the number one thing is just that he's focused and confident, and that comes from off-the-court stability because uh, the reality around Zverev is he's he's fighting with his agent. I mean, he's suing his, his old agent. And now, I don't... I don't want to get into the details because I'm not. Um, I don't want to make any mistakes and fact errors here. But all you got to know is he's been distracted this year, and at the end of the day, it, it's it's seemingly affected his confidence and his motivation. Sometimes he gets out on the court, he's flat, very flat, rather. I, I I'll even take it that far, and um, he just hasn't been mentally there the, the whole year. Um, his second serve was a massive problem. He needs to figure this out. Uh, it, it got better at the end of the year, but he has the worst double fault percentage on tour per second serve. So um, actually, Benoit Paire double faulted a higher percentage of points, but uh, that's just because Benoit Paire can't even make a first serve, so uh, it makes him double fault more. Zverev can make a first serve, but he can't make a second serve, even more so than Benoit Paire because uh, his double fault percentage was 21.8%, which is absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, he deserves an award for finishing the year number seven in the world, double faulting on one out of every five second serve points. I mean, he deserves literally a medal for that. Uh, that is unreal, but, but he obviously needs to fix the second serve. So number one, mental, number two, second serve. The third thing I think he needs to work on is just his offensive arsenal because, look, he's got a lot of the same talent that Medvedev has. I mean, he can be very consistent from the baseline. He's a good counter striker. He comes up with really good passing shots generally when he baits players to the net. Uh, he's got good endurance. He's in good shape. He's worked on his fitness. His legs are stronger. They don't look any stronger. They're still twigs. But... In reality, they're stronger. You can tell by the way he's moving. Um, so, and then he's got the serve, the first serve that kind of helps him offensively. So he's similar to Medvedev in that respect. He's also similar to Medvedev. He's got a strong backhand, 
but he needs to de- still uh, develop his offensive arsenal. He's the worst volleyer in the top 20. So he needs to either figure that out, which uh, I, I have not much hope that Zverev is ever going to be a good volleyer, to be honest. But what I think Zverev can be is he can get more consistent attacking with his forehand, stepping into the court and uh, getting more comfortable attacking with his forehand. So that, that's something I do think he's uh, very, very capable of. Uh, Zverev in 2020. I think he's going to go back to winning some Masters, but I have similar concerns with Medvedev. I think it's, I think he'll figure out a second serve. I think he'll be better mentally, but the offensive arsenal still concerns me, and he just does not have the speed that uh, an Andy Murray has. So... I don't think that he can win majors with the lack of aggression that he tends to play with because I don't think he's fast enough. I don't think he's talented enough defensively to do that. So I think he needs to bring more offense to the table or he's not going to win. I do think though he's he's such a good um, he's such a good counter striker and he's good on so many different surfaces that I think he's going to go back to winning some big masters titles. In 2020. Uh, Matteo Berrettini is how we will close things off. He was he flew very, very much under the radar this entire season until he had a really good run in uh, in New York at the US Open. Then people started to uh, to notice the kind of things he was doing. But in reality, uh, he had a really strong grass court season. Um, and then he had a pretty strong clay court season. And Berrettini is a player with one of the best forehands on tour, one of the best serves on tour. And if you have those two things, you're going to win matches. Uh, let's keep this pretty simple, pretty short for Berrettini. His topspin backhand is pretty weak. So if, if he can get that to a place where it's a little bit more solid, that would be really good for him. His slice is excellent. But... The topspin backhand is somewhere where his opponents can go and they know they're pretty safe. They know they're going to get errors and they know they're not going to be really hurt with Berrettini's topspin backhand. It reminds me of Sam Query. Now, if, if he gets going and he starts feeling it on his topspin backhand, if he gets a good feel for that shot, he'll be very dangerous. Uh, the second thing is, is, is fitness, but I put a question mark because a lot of a lot of this is genetic people. I mean, this is the this is the hard this is the cold hard truth. A lot of this is genetic. I don't know if Matteo Berrettini is ever going to be a a player who is going to move well. But right now he's a little slow. I would have to I don't know him well enough. I don't know his regimen, his diet, his fitness routine. I don't know that well enough to know if if there's room for improvement there. He's, I want to say, 23 years old, so I, there shouldn't be any natural development left for him. Uh, with a guy like, uh, with some of the other guys, certainly Tsitsipas, for example, uh, he'll naturally, I don't think he's fully developed yet, uh, naturally. There should be some strengthening there. Um, but Berrettini, I think, is probably fully developed there in terms of uh, age. I don't know if there's more... Um, for Berrettini in terms of what he can do physically with his movement. But I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's a drop-off. After Zverev, there's a drop-off. Berrettini is not as threatening as the seven players before him. At the same time, he's not going to go anywhere. 
And based on his age, he's going to be around for a really long time. And I don't expect a drop-off. But we've seen a lot of players kind of hang around and not really win a lot of big titles. And that's what Berrettini's going to be. He's going to be a top 10 player, a top 15 player for a very, very long time. I'm very confident about that. But so was John Isner. No, John Isner only had a few years. But so was uh, Milos Raonic. So was Kane Ishikori. Um, and Berrettini is going to be a player who is probably not going to win a lot of big titles, but he's going to win a lot of matches. That's going to be the reality of it. Uh, so I expect him to hang around, not get much higher than number 8, not get any lower than number 15. Uh, I don't think he's going to be someone that a lot of players want to play. You can get used to hearing his name. He's not going anywhere, but there, there won't be any major titles. I'd be very surprised if there's, uh, if there's a lot of Masters titles or, or anything like that. That concludes our or uh, the 4 through 8 preview for 2020. Next will be even snappier, even quicker. I will do, um, I'll do 8 through 16 plus dark horses. Hope you enjoyed this. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.